This is Guns and Butter. Political correctness. What is political correctness? Political correctness is politics that doesn't allow political opposition. Politics that doesn't allow political opposition is tyranny. Political correctness is a disaster. It's a system that was there to castrate you and beautifully enough had a tremendous success. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Galad Otzman. Today's show, The Post-Political Condition. Galad Otzman is a jazz musician and composer, a philosopher, and an author. He was born and raised in Israel and is now a British citizen. He is the author of The Wandering Who, A Study of Jewish Identity Politics. He is on tour with his latest book, Being in Time, a post-political manifesto. He writes that the freedom to think openly is now within the domain of nostalgia. Our Western liberal utopia has turned into an Orwellian catastrophe, and we the people are left bewildered and impoverished. He gave a public presentation on October 3, 2017. His talk, The Post-Political Condition, Brexit, Trump, and the Rest of Us, was a searing indictment of the new left's embrace of identity politics and political correctness. He was greeted outside the North Berkeley Library by a group of Jewish protesters holding signs that read, United Against Hate. Several of the protesters stayed to listen to his talk. Galad Otzman. Thank you, everyone, uh, for uh, coming. And uh, I'm uh, delighted uh, to see a group of uh, elder Zionist ladies joining us. We have now. Yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful. On my way, on my way here, I I um, posted a tweet that I uh, hope that you will be courageous enough to join us. And uh, my prayer came through, you know. It means something. Especially after. No, no, it's not. We are not discussing, discuss, discussing yet. We will have time for a Q and A. Anyway, um, you may find yourself disappointed uh, today because I'm not going to talk about much about Israel and Palestine. So, if this is what you expect. But I'm, I'm sure that you can still use this uh, against eight uh, in the next uh, anti-free speech demonstration. Anyway, when we were young, yes, no, sometimes I have young people, and I think when we were young, I, I realized that when I was young, most of them weren't there. But uh, when I was young, you were already mature. But when we were young in general, the left was quite an exciting adventure. It was there to unite us. It said, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or black, woman, lesbian, Muslim. We are all together against the bad guys, the capitalists. But this has 
changed radically. At a certain stage, the left changed its position and it started to divide us into groups. We learned to identify as a, as a woman, as a Jew, as a black, as an LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. And the meaning of it was quite devastating because instead of walking together towards justice, taking care together about the most important things in society. Education, health, and most important thing, manufacturing. So we have a good reason to wake up in the morning. Instead of taking care of these three issues, or maybe a few more, we started to fight each other. The women with the chauvinist, the black with the white supremacist, the gays with the homophobes, the Jews pretty much with everyone, but we are not going to talk about it. This transition in left, from left, from old good left into new left, is a significant transition. It dismantled the ability of left to be a reformist force. And more than anything else, it actually confirmed that the left adopted the most embarrassing aspect of Hitlerian philosophy. This is quite unusual, what I'm saying here. What is the problem with Hitler? National Socialism? No. The idea of being nationalist is okay. Some of you don't prove, but it's not, it's not necessarily a problem. As you probably know, many of the nationalists in this country, they are actually isolationist. They are anti-wars. So nationalism is not necessarily a problem. And socialism is definitely, the idea of equality is definitely not a big problem. So for instance, Italian fascism, the idea of equality of the Italian people is not a problem. We had some issues with the Duce, with Mussolini being a tyrant. Nazism, the idea of German-speaking people living Inequality, equality of German-speaking people, this is not a problem. By the way, this is not how you learned World War II history in, in America or in Britain or anywhere. Once you understand that National Socialism was equality of German-speaking people, you understand the Anschluss of Austria in 1936, you understand what were Hitler's interests in Czechoslovakia, in the Sudeten, and so on and so on. The problem with Hitler was the idea of racism 
sorry, of socialism, equality of one race. Am I right? So if you are born in 1932 to the wrong parents, you are doomed. Shockingly enough, all those identitarian groups are identified by biology. Black is the skin. Lesbian, gay is a bisexual, transsexual, asexual now we have, queer. We believe that it's a biologically related issue. The Jews are defined by the blood of the mother. We have, we took American society and we divided it into a collective of Hitler enthusiast tribalists. Slightly pathetic. Especially for you guys. You, you don't like Hitler, I guess. Or maybe... No, I guess that this is the case still. This is quite shocking. And the next question, how is it possible that such a transition takes place in your society Manufacturing is gone. Education is gone. How much you pay for your kids or your grandkids to study something that nobody needs? 50,000 a year? 40,000 a year? 20,000 a year? In Britain, I pay. Okay, don't pay. She took a loan. My daughter. By the age of 21, she will be <laughs> subject to paley monthly paid a kind of mortgage that is bigger than what I had when I was in her age, when I bought a house. How is it possible that with the left being obliterated by this system, we were all reduced into consumers and the politicians were not anymore an extension of our will or whims. They weren't <laughs> extension of what we believe to be good and right. They became subservience to big money. If we were consumers, if we turned into consumers, their job was to sustain consumption by means of credit. And this is what they did. And in 2008, there was a problem. We realized that we were actually buying all the time with money we didn't have. And by 2009, we realized that we were actually buying with money we never had. Slightly pathetic. All the time, our American free media, British free media, BBC, The Guardian, or as we call them, The Guardian of Judea, it's your guardian, did nothing, didn't inform us about this huge transition. Academics in Harvard, in Princeton, in Oxford, they get their tenure. They're supposed to engage in social sciences to understand what is happening. They were completely silent. In fact, why is it a saxophonist? In case you didn't know, I'm a professional musician. Is it down to a saxophonist to tell you what is happening in your society? 
how pathetic. The question is what was this thing that kept us zombies? How did we turn blind to the circumstances that were revolving around us? And this is what I did in this book. I looked into it. And my, and, and my findings are pretty devastating. They're so devastating that not a single <laughs> academic or mainstream outlet there's writing about it and somehow it still sells very well. It's actually, we are running now into second print within three months. It's sold out. These are the glass copies. You better hurry. I'm saying it from day one, you know. It's a Jewish marketing strategy. <laughs> you know. So I agree with you on some... Uh, <laughs> Fundament, fundamentals. Okay, I looked into I looked into this into this um, into that which numbed our ability to detect the shift in our society. By the way, you all agree with me that we went through a very big shift. Yeah, it's not that I'm coming with kind of a conspiratorial. Uh, reading of reality, you all know that something really changed in the last 20, 30 years. Okay, this is what I found. I found that the two prime elements that led the left into this cool de sac territory, namely identity politics, is one, political correctness, and we will talk about political correctness, Two, identity politics. The left made a conscious choice to adopt this divisive... The left made a conscious decision adopting this identity politics. Why? This is quite devastating and I may upset some of you. There is an animosity within left intelligentsia towards working class people. Now, what I'm saying sounds like an absurd. Because the left is there for the working class, for the working people. To start with, if there is no work, the meaning of working people shifts. And if the meaning of working people shifts, the meaning of left shifts accordingly. Or evaporates in practice. You're listening to jazz musician and author Galad Otzman. Today's show, The Post-Political Condition. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. But why there is an animosity amongst leftists towards working people for a very simple reason. The working people 
never vote for the left. There was supposed to be a revolution. The revolution never happened. You know why the revolution never happened? Because when you come to John Smith, a metal worker from Auckland, and you tell him, John, listen, tomorrow we start a revolution. Half 11, near the Northern Library, this is where we are, yeah? We are meeting in Alameda Street. John tell you, I can't, I'm at work. Walking people never had time for the revolution because they went to work. This is why they are called working class. It's quite embarrassing. In America, it's even worse. Nobody wants to be a working class. You all want to be middle class. The left understood at a certain stage, actually quite early, quite early on, they understood that the revolution won't happen. It was Sorel in the late 19th century and Gramsci, the Italian communist or socialist, they both understood that for the left to, to sustain meaningfulness, we cannot really count on the workers. We have to introduce a change in society, especially the way we see progress. Dividing the working class was a perfect method. What did the left manage to do here? Basically, this is not left, this is new left. I, have, I don't have much problem with old left, but this is a disaster. What they did here, they invented the new oppressed. As a woman, as a gay, as a Jew, as a lesbian, as a... And this is very interesting. And concentrate now, United, uh, United Against Eight. I'm coming to you in a second. I'm going to upset you as well. Each of this identitarian group, let's say, let's say, the gays. The gays is not something that ends a few miles from here in the Mexican border or in the north in the Canadian border. It continues to the next state. It continues to Europe, to Britain, to France, to Germany, to Poland, to Russia. So let's say that we want to, to mount pressure on Mr. Putin. We can easily mobilize the as a gay in Moscow. And whether we agree or not, this is exactly how APAC is operating in America. Or in Britain through the CFI. Or in France through CRIF. We basically made each of these identitarian sectors into Jews. But guess what? They're not as good as being, in being Jews as the Jews themselves. You know why? Because the Jews are doing it for 3,000 years. And the gays are doing it for 40 years. If you are a gay and you want to be good in being a Jew, come in 3,000 years. Practice. I'll wait. I'll stay here with your tape. We put pause. All right? This is very, very important to understand. As a matter of fact, when you look at the Jewish identity, 
We have the strongest lobby in, the country, in, the, in, in this country, of, of course. We have a state, 20 years ago it was 200 atomic bombs. Now we, we, we don't even know how to count. Under each house in Israel we have a kind of... A, a, they managed to obliterate the entire Middle East. The feminists are not that successful. How many uh, atomic bombs the feminists have? How many F-16 the gay army flies? Mm, not that many. Alright? So you should... You are pretty united. You don't need me. Actually, you need me to be even more united. The left did it because it wanted to sustain its relevance. As bizarre as it may sound, while in the old days the left abolished the notion of race, it doesn't matter if you are black or a Jew or a woman. Now, the only thing that sustains racial thinking in America is the left. How embarrassing. But the left wasn't alone. The Jews... What is he going to say? What am I going to say about the Jews? You don't know? You're already asleep? The Jews, or let's say the Jewish intelligentsia, also wanted to see working class divided. Why? Because Jews had very bad experience with working class being united. These ladies can tell you after the, after the talk about Germany and Hungary, it is called the Shoah. The idea of a society losing its cohesiveness is very safe for the Jews. We are becoming 12 tribes. In fact, the prime ideological mentors of this philo behind this philosophy are a bunch of Jewish intellectuals. As I mentioned, actually the, the first ones were Sorel, Joe Sorel, then Gramsci, who died like a rat in Mussolini's cell. Mussolini's cell. But then we see the rise of the Frankfurt School. People like Adorno and Marcuse and Orkheimer and Erich Fromm. And also, still cultural Marxists, but not part of the Frankfurt School, Wilhelm Reich. Wilhelm Reich, that some of you, I guess, within the left really like, because of the organ and... I'm talking about early Wilhelm Reich. Wilhelm Reich asked in 36, I think, how is it possible that we, the communists, offer... These Germans, these idiotic Germans, a revolution, and instead of going with us, they go with Hitler. This is the frustration with the working class that I'm talking about. And his answer was very simple. They 
are contaminated with authoritarian personality. And what we are going to do about it? We will teach them how to... Yeah. We will sexualize them. We will destroy the patriarchal male chauvinist family cell. Um, we will liberate the women. In case you didn't know, Wilhelm Reich is the father and the mother of the sexual revolution, of the sex revolution of the 60s. Alright? Was he conspiratorial? Was Wilhelm Reich conspiratorial? Was Adorno conspiratorial? They said, we are going to go and divide the goyim and... No! No, I don't. Some people say it, but some people are convinced that this was the method. I don't think so. There were problems in America. You had issues with racism, with discrimination, with uh, no equality, and so on, and so on, and so on. And these people believed in Tikkun Olam. Have you heard about Tikkun Olam? Tikkun Olam is in Hebrew, fixing the world. These people go to sleep, and they ask themselves, how can we fix the world tomorrow morning? By the way, have you tried to fix the world before? Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> this is unusual. Are you Jewish? Did you try to fix the world? Huh? Every day. Yeah. Okay, this is very interesting because this is the first time. This is, this is why Berkeley is such a unique place. Because everywhere I go in the world, I ask people, do you really try to fix the world? They say, no, I don't no, play the saxophone, I fix cars. No, normal people out of Berkeley... Sorry, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know. Normal people, because you are judified, all of you. Normal people out of Berkeley don't try to fix the world. They try to help the Palestinian people, let's say. No, this is kind of a quite a unique method that revolutionized the way we see everything. We destroy industry... We destroy the, the, the family cell. It's, it's, it's completely new. And I think that one of the questions that I try to, to answer here is, hey, why do they, these people, why are they always Jewish revolutionaries? And more interesting is, how do they manage to sell this product? Because it's a, it is quite a unique product. But the big question for you guys is how is it possible that this tremendous change happens to your society and you just cannot see it? You are subject to it? You are manipulated viciously? You are reduced into a bunch of zombies and by the way, this is the reason that you have so many zombie films in America. <laughs> because you are a bunch of zombies. And by the way, united against, united with us, united with us, you also suffer from this transition to the American society. Like everyone else. And if your grandkids want to buy a, a, a flat 
in San Francisco, they will need a lot of money and it's because of that, because there is no left looking after us. So you're also the victim. So not united again, how do you call yourself? United against us, no. What we need in our society is rather than finding all those things that separate us, to find the one thing that unites us. So rather than being united against it, why not being united with everyone else? And to remove all those identitarian, divisive tools. You're listening to jazz musician and author Galad Otzman. Today's show, The Post-Political Condition. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. But the question, how did it happen to you, Americans, and to them as well, who live near the Americans? Political correctness is the answer. What is political correctness? Political correctness is politics that doesn't allow political opposition. Politics that doesn't allow political opposition is tyranny. But tyranny is nice. Tyranny said, oh man, I really don't like Hitler. I don't like Stalin. I don't like Tony Blair. I don't like Duce Mussolini. But in a tyranny, it's an institution, a party, or a tyrant. It's an external entity. In the case of political correctness, it is you. It is self-suppression. It's self-castration. One day, you produce a truthful statement, and someone around you says, Hey, Gilad, man, you shouldn't say it anymore. The next time, you come with another truthful statement, but you keep it to yourself. And there is no third time. Because you learn not to think. People who subscribe to identity politics don't even understand that talking as a gay removes them from their homosexuality. I'll explain to you. If I'm an homosexual, I'm not, don't worry, it's like, yeah? If I'm an homosexual, a certain sexual orientation, and I become a gay, I don't, I actually in practice learn to identify. Rather than being myself, I learn to identify with the group politics. I'm a very good saxophonist. I'm supposed to be one of the best. I don't identify as a saxophonist. If I would identify as a saxophonist, I'll come to a club and say, um, as a saxophonist, should I put the app or should I walk like that? No. I'm carrying my saxophone. Jews, you are, I had a, you had a yarmulke on your head, yeah? Orthodox Jews, I don't know if you, I assume that you are an Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Jews don't have to identify as Orthodox Jews. It's clear to them. It's the secular Jews who have to identify because they lost the contact with the core, it's called Judaism. So they have to come with all those theories. 
And this is what I did here in The Wandering Who, another book that uh, some of you tried to burn for years. By the way, it's not easy to burn my books. I spent, it cost 2p more and it's uh, inflammable. It's kind of a special cream or something, I don't know how to do it. We can try, we can have an experiment. You mean non-flammable? Non-flammable, yeah. Yeah, sorry, non-flammable. I mean unflammable, yeah. I'm very creative with English. I'm a creative person, you know. I can. Um, political correctness is a disaster. It's a system that was there to castrate you. And beautifully enough, it had a tremendous success. And you start to understand it now. And I'm now coming to the very end of this talk, because for me the most interesting thing is to have a discussion with you, trying to understand what is it really that shattered your society. I looked into it quite a lot, and I realized that, uh, I realized that we are dealing with this, once again, with this all very important dichotomy between Athens and Jerusalem. Athens is the birthplace of philosophy. Athens is the birthplace of science. Art, beauty, ethics. Jerusalem, we are talking now in metaphorical terms. I don't want one of you to come, hey, I've been in Athens last week, it's disgusting. Yeah? This is not the idea. We're talking in metaphorical terms. Jerusalem is the birthplace of revelation. I know that it's Mount of Sinai, but we are using it as a metaphor. Jerusalem is the birthplace of revelation. It's the city of law. While in Athens, we think things through. In Jerusalem, we follow commandments. Those amongst you, I always like to have some Jews in the audience, especially Orthodox Jews. Naaseh venishma. Say it. Naaseh venishma. Naaseh venishma. We do, we follow, we obey, and then we contemplate. Am I right? Yes, more or less. More or less. I'm right. It's quite embarrassing. Every good thing... By the way, Jerusalem, when I talk about Jerusalem, I don't talk about Jews. I'm talking about a system, a cognitive system of sustaining society. The problem that we have in America, in Britain, in France, in the West, is that Athens has been defeated and Jerusalem dominates our life, this is why we had the Patriot Acts. How do you call it? Am I right? Or am? We have more and more and more legislation that are there to dismantle, to obliterate our elementary freedoms. This is why this library was under blitz by vandalist book burners who subscribed to Jerusalem. Coincidentally, they are as well Jewish, but not maybe not all of them. This is why 
And by the way, admiration for you to be brave enough to come to this talk. And I hope that you will produce some good questions. And you really will, will really behave very well until now, unlike Israel. And when we try to understand what is happening here, we find out that our progressives, how many people are your pro our progressives? How many? Okay, it's not very good to be progressive according to Gila Dasmo. <laughs> the problem, huh? Huh? You, you go down? <laughs> All right. <laughs> progressives are Jerusalemite. They are the ultimate Jerusalemite. And this is why we have a disaster in this country now. Why they are Jerusalemites? Because progressives are chosenites. If I call myself a progressive, it means that someone else is reactionary. This is the mirror image of the Jew-Goy dichotomy. Chosenness, chosen Goy. And I know that in Orthodox Judaism, the meaning of chosenness is slightly different, so we can talk about it or we can save it. This is why so many Jews are so excited about being progressive. And this is why when Hillary Clinton had some problems with people who didn't agree with, with her, they became redneck, progressive put workers, people who are close to the land that have their um, progressives left putting down the agriculture, labor, called him Baskov of the Blurble, white supremacist, white rush. A university professor can talk about white rush. Do you know what happens if he would talk about Jewish rush? He would lose his job on the spot. What would happen if he would talk about black rush? He wouldn't even finish a black. Ejected. It's now there is a new system that kind of... <laughs> we have lost the ability as a society, as human beings, to love each other, which is exactly what we learned from Athens. Ethics comes from Athens. We think things through. In Jerusalem, there is no ethics. The... No, true. In Jerusalem, there is no ethics. I'll address it. In Jerusalem, there is no ethics. In Jerusalem, we have something completely different. We have Talmud commandments, 613 commandments or 10 commandments that replaces ethics. Let me make it very simple. I don't need God to tell me, don't kill. I can figure it out. This is the idea of making an ethical judgment. For me, to save my kids, to save your kids, to save your kids, we have to start again to look for that which unites us. To move away from this Jerusalemite 
tyranny of correctness. How do we do it? This is what we are doing now. We write books, we make films, we write songs, we talk to each other, we learn how not to silence each other. If Gilad Atzmon comes to town and you don't like him, and if, by the way, if you're not alone, I also don't like myself, I'm a self-hater. <laughs> Especially if you don't like him, you say, welcome Gilad Atzmon. Gilad Atzmon leaves the car and you throw flowers at him. We are the Jews. We don't like you, but we are coming to listen to you. This is the idea. Anyway, so it didn't do next time we do it, but uh, for the time being, it's great that you came. You're listening to jazz musician and author Galad Otzman. Today's show, The Post-Political Condition. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. And uh, I think that we can start now the Q&A. Hello, brother. What's wrong with being a progressive? Just because it's a label, it's an identity, are all identities a negative thing? Don't I want... Everybody to be a progressive? You could be the the world. Okay, okay, let me let I'll be very specific. I explained I explained what I find so problematic about progressive. I don't have any doubt that most progressives are not familiar with my uh, analysis and they are doing it or identify themselves as such because they are wonderful people. And they want the world to be better, all right? So I don't, oh, you're progressive, we have to kill you. No, (laughs) this is not what I'm trying to say. I try to help you. My job, I'm not an activist. We have quite a few activists in this room. I'm not an activist. I'm a philosopher and a musician. My job is to refine questions, to take a notion and to try to understand it within the context of culture, of metaphysics, or whatever. The problem that I have with progressives is that they developed this blind philosophy that, that, removes, that removes people from engagement. And this is very, very dangerous. I'm touring now in America for 10 days. And I tell you the truth, I was totally devastated when I saw what happened in Charlottesville. Not because I identify with any side. The idea of removing statues. If you don't like someone, you make sure that his statue is staying there forever. So you take your grandkids and you tell them, you, you see, this guy was a racist. Whether I don't say that Robert Lee was a racist. I don't, get, I don't engage in this debate. It is the notion of chosenness, the idea that I know better, that I know something that you don't. And this is something that I find very, very hard to accept. And this is my problem with progressiveness. It's a form of chosenness. And I'm against all forms of chosenness, not just Jewish chosenness. All form of chosenness. Next. Yeah. On the question of, uh, you say that Jerusalem is... In your definition, wide-ranging definition of Jerusalem, it, it lacks ethics. Ethics can only come from Athens. What in the world is all the Jewish ethical writings over the, over the centuries? I mean, 
Okay, let me address with, it. Start with Pirkei Avod, which is yeah. translated, maybe mistranslated, yeah. as Ethics of the Fathers. Yeah. I didn't... Ethics... Yeah. Let's assume that people are behaving ethically. Yeah? There are two ways to get there. By means of judgment. By means of obedience. All right? The Jews have built a substantial book of laws, Halakha, Talmud, and this is how they sustain ethical conduct. Not all of us. Uh, fine, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the dead Jew. Yeah, the Jew, I don't know, I don't know you. I'm talking about Jerusalem. The other way to get there is to have a state. By the way, Britain was like that until Tony Blair. America, very few laws. And I'll give you an example. Do you have speed cameras in California? When I was young, <laughs> we had kind of a notice board, urban area, I don't know, 20, 30 miles, let's say. And say, oh, it's kind of, people are living here, so you slow down and slow down. And then you're on the motorway again, or highway, or whatever, whatever you call it. Now, in Britain, probably here, we have speed cameras. What we do instead? We speed in between the cameras. This is obedience as opposed to judgment. This is what I'm talking about. And it's not just Jerusalem. This is how the Western society is operating now. And it is because... We are Jerusalem. Now, by the way, the guy in the Jerusalem versus Satan is something that developed in, uh, in Germany in the late 19th century and then in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. The guy who brought it uh, to, to America was a very famous philosopher called Leo Strauss, who is the father and the mother of the neocons. And he actually spoke a lot about uh, Athens versus Jerusalem. So it's not Gilad Atzmon. I'm just bringing it, kind of turning the, the floodlight on this uh, dichotomy. Next question. All right. One more question, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate your uh, idea of analyzing things. And uh, a lot of people in this room are 9-11 truth activists. Yeah. And uh, I don't understand how anyone can talk about history in the United States or in the world without bringing up 9-11. What is the question? I just want to hear something about how you okay. talk about history without talking about any of that. Okay, this is a very important question. When I say this is a very important question, it's usually because I don't have the answer. I just put you asleep. <laughs> you know, you know? <laughs> um, and I, uh, in this recent mini-tour, I spoke to two 9-11 groups, which is a fascinating experience for me. I present a kind of a, a model before I touch it. If this is a Jewish problem, where the Jews understand that everybody is against them because of banking, Palestine, media, what else people, what, what, what are you afraid? You tell us, what, are, what, what is it? Christ killers. We run huh? the world, don't we? So what do you say? So we own the world? We run the entire world. We run the world. So 
Ah, yeah, so, okay, so, lobby. Uh, yeah. Okay, what else? Hollywood. 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 Jews, it's about you. Why, why are you on the center? What is it that you are afraid of? It's great. This is great. You come to me tomorrow. Tomorrow we are flying together to Oxford. I have an event in Oxford. I really like the idea of... Uh, it's like in the... Tribalism. Yeah. Tribalism. Good. This never comes. Wow. Great. I never had that one. Chosen. Chosen. This is black tribalism. All right? Except chosen is misunderstood by mo almost everyone, and particularly a large portion of the Jews. You are right. Uh, exactly. You're right. I, agree. I agree with you about that. Yeah. I agree about, about that, and it, whenever I talk about chosenism, as I mentioned here, chosenism, in the eyes of Judaism, is different from what we perceive. But Judaism is just, as I see it, is just one Jewish religion, but I want to address 9-11, all right? When Jews see that everyone want to throw them under the wheels of the bus because of banking, because of Palestine, because of the Middle East crisis, because of media, because of lobbying, because of, uh, what was that, uh, tribalism, okay. Hollywood, we'll get to the, okay, what they do, they invent a Jewish satellite descent. And this is quite... A beautiful thing, and it's not conspiratorial. If you are a Jew, and you see what is happening in Palestine, you say, ah, I, I don't want that. I don't want to be part of it. All right? If you are a Jew, and you see what is happening in banking, in Goldman Sachs, what they did in, in Greece, and so on, and Soros, cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism is very important. All right? So if this is... If this is banking, this is communism, Marx, Bernie Sanders. All right? And this, this is Palestine, this is JVP to Max Blumenthal. And this is media, democracy later, uh, democracy now. <laughs> and Paul J, real Jews. And if this is the lobby, this is J Street. And this tribal, they will be the mother and the father of universalism. Through a progressive movement. And tikkun olam. Cultural Marxism. Who was the first person, I, I will get to the one to the 9-11, because we don't have 9-11 yet. All right. Who was the guy who did the best job on cultural Marxism, the, the constructing it? Was it Kevin McDonald, who wrote the best book on cultural Marxism? No. Few intellectuals read Kevin McDonald. I'm one of them, and I learned a lot. Was it Buchanan, great historian? No. He understood it all. The best and most effective critics of cultural Marxism was Andrew Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart who formed Breitbart.com in Jerusalem. And this is 
how Andrew Breitbart, and this is almost a quote, it's probably a quote. This is how Andrew Breitbart described cultural Marxism. And we are talking about Adorno, Marcuse, Wilhelm Reich, the old Jews who ran away from Hitler. This is what he said. In the 30s, a group of German political scientists immigrated to this country and interfered and started to interfere with our Judeo-Christian values. What? How did I know about it? Because I myself didn't notice it, because it's true. But when I started to listen to Andrew Breitbart on videos, I realized that every 10 minutes he speaks about his bar mitzvah. So I read it carefully. A group of German political scientists come to, to America and interfere with our Judeo-Christian values? No! They were a group of Jews who ran away from Hitler, understandably, and they interfered with your Christian values. He made the Jewish scientists into Germans, and he made you into Jews. And he is the most popular. He was the idol of the Tea Party movement and so on and so on. He was so effective that it is even possible that he got murdered. He died very young. Anyway, look what is happening now. When we have this Jewish problem and Jewish descent, they start to fight. And when Jews fight, nobody, nobody. It's the best show in, in town. I expect today, uh, you know, but this is the thing. I'm an ex-Jew, so you cannot really fight me the way I would be like. <laughs> and they, then something very interesting is happening. Those who wanted, those those who wanted to throw the Jews under the wheels of the bus, they form a new theater. They go out of this discourse. They say, we will sit here and we let the Jews deal with it. So banking is now an internal Jewish debate. Neocon wars is a debate, internal Jewish debate between Sam Aris and Noam Chomsky. Palestine is between... Uh, United Against Eight and Max Blumenthal. Media is something between Wolf Blitzer and uh, Democracy Later. <laughs> the lobby is J Street versus APAC. How crazy! You need American street opposing a foreign country taking over your foreign policy. What you have instead is another Jewish... They just grabbed a few refugee uh, senators and buy them with Soros money. How embarrassing. 9-11. Not yet. If global warming becomes a Jewish problem, I take something crazy. That everybody said, it's the Jews... Who brought global warming? It's crazy. It's, uh, deliberately, eh? Fictional. Imag Within a week, we will have Jews against global warming, and they will take over the movement. 9-11. A lot of people say Israel did 9-11. Am I right? The minute 
the Jews see 9-11 as a threat, you will have Jews for 9-11 truths. A week later, you will, learn, you will learn to speak Yiddish if you want to be relevant to the discourse. And we are not there yet. But this is what to watch for. Okay, so this is my answer. I'm sorry that it's that long, but everything that I do, I like models. I really like models. I like... It makes sense. The rest of the Q&A with Galad Otzman will be posted at gunsandbutter.org. You've been listening to Galad Otzman. Today's show has been The Post-Political Condition. Galad Otzman is a jazz musician and composer, a philosopher and an author. He is the author of The Wandering Who, A Study of Jewish Identity Politics. His new book, Being in Time, A Post-Political Manifesto, was the subject of his speaking tour, The Post-Political Condition, Brexit, Trump, and the Rest of Us. Being in Time is a courageous attempt to grasp the intellectual developments that led toward the current dystopia. Visit his website at galad.co.uk. That's G-I-L-A-D dot C-O dot U-K. His books are available at galad.co.uk slash books and at amazon.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaramako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at GNB Radio. Hey yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what inside yourself for peace. Release. You dig me? You got me?